to episode 245 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are back doing the thing that we do best, talking about NFL, DFS, DraftKings week one. We're going to get into slate specifics. Joey, we're going to talk some chalk, leverage, stacks, long shots, everything you need to win a tournament in week one on DraftKings. Buddy, how you feeling? It, It feels so good to be back. Feeling good, man. I'm excited to finally talk about the week one slate for real. Ton of content is going to be pumped out on our end. So if you're not already, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever podcast feed you use, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcasts, doesn't matter. Just make sure you're subscribed slash following. Make sure you download the episodes. Helps us out a ton. And make sure you're subscribed to us on YouTube. Dose Media Network. We just crossed 400 subscribers. Shout out to everybody that has subscribed to the channel. If you're not already, make sure you do that. We're going to be pumping out multiple videos and streams per week surrounding sports betting, surrounding cash game specific strategy, GPP specific strategy, and just some more content for for the people out there over on our YouTube channel. Feels great to be back and let's dig right in because we have a lot of things to cover with this unique week one slate from a slate specific perspective on DraftKings. This is a 13 game main slate with nine games early and four games in the afternoon. We have two premier games this week with totals above 50. Both are 425 p.m kickoffs Casey at Arizona with a slate high 53 and a half point total and the Chargers hosting the Vegas Raiders with a total of 52 top five implied team totals this week Kansas City 29.75 the Chargers 27.75 Indianapolis 26 and a half Philly 26.25 and Baltimore 25.75 Joey what stands out to you this week from a Vegas perspective yeah I think what stands out the most to me is that three out of the four late games are the highest totaled games on the slate with Kansas City versus Arizona, Las Vegas versus the Chargers, and then the Vikings versus the Packers are all being played at 425 p.m. So the 1 p.m. slate of games, which is nine games, is not good. It's not good at all. And I think that's just going to make for an interesting tournament dynamic this week uh, a lot of the chalky tournament plays are going to come from these four o'clock games so I think that definitely impacts the strategy that you can employ when building your lineups and you know potentially going heavy on the 1 p.m games to get different or playing different 4 p.m stacks that might not be as owned or utilizing late swap to get off the chalk once you know what happens after the 1 p.m game so I think for a week one slate this is a slate that's going to you know have a lot of DFS strategy attached to it absolutely especially when you look at the discrepancies which we'll talk about later in the show with some of the ownership expectations we have compared to these high value games it looks like there might be a little bit of edge just in targeting some of these high scoring teams from a leverage perspective. And even the 4 p.m. game out of the four that isn't high totaled is one that's going to come with a lot of DFS action in the Giants Titans game, lower totaled game 43 and a half, but some of the more popular plays 
of the entire slate are going to come from that game specifically on the Giants, which Mm -hmm. we can transition to shortly as we begin to talk the most chalky players of week one. Joey, starting off at the running back position, Christian McCaffrey, back healthy, missed quite a bit of time over the past two seasons, but we know Matt Rule's game plan with CMC this year is to attack. Projections have him absolutely blaring through every model, and and CMC looks to be one of the best plays on the slate this week. No matter what projections you use for any service provider, CMC is going to pop off the charts, especially on DraftKings full PPR site. I think from a realistic projection standpoint, you could probably project CMC for 15 to 20 rushing attempts and six to eight targets as a median projection and that is just super valuable especially at 8500 on DK he's projecting to be you know the best value on the entire board this week and if you're getting Christian McCaffrey under 10k I think it's an auto lock no matter what this is something that you know you can go back and and listen to some of the uh the week breakdowns that we've done over the years and when CMC is mispriced we jam them in and we don't think twice about it. So that's what I will be doing in week one. Yep. And we're clear cut just getting a recency bias discount on, on McCaffrey because there's no indication that his role will be any different than it's been during his prime fantasy producing years. And at that point, Christian McCaffrey's a 10K player. So yeah. I'm looking at it like we get CMC $1,500 off, jam them in cash, very much in consideration for tournaments as well. I think from a lineup construction standpoint, especially when we're talking about cash games and the optimal lineup, Christian McCaffrey is where you start and... The popular route I think a lot of people will take will be finding some of these lower priced 6K running backs to jam in Saquon Barkley, Najee Harris, both guys that I think are going to draw a lot of popularity this week in DFS. Yeah, I think these three running backs will be the chalkiest running backs in double ups and head to heads in week one. Saquon Barkley at 6,100 is just clearly mispriced for his potential role in the Giants offense as one of the lone three down backs left in the NFL with immense pass catching upside. He's obviously a very natural pass catcher and he has the upside in my opinion or close to the upside of Christian McCaffrey. We've seen Saquon Barkley finish as the RB1 overall in fantasy football before. It's definitely well within the range and He's just clearly mispriced. Najee Harris at 6,400. I think that the same arguments for Saquon Barkley can be said for Najee Harris, but he is just kind of the less sexy, the less explosive option. And some running backs in that range might project a little bit better from a median perspective, but in cash, it could be hard to pass up the opportunity that Najee will see on a game-by-game basis. So those to me are the three best cash game running backs. Yeah. And there's a $300 price gap between them. Barkley 6,100, Najee 6,400 on the surface. If you're looking at things, you know, from a Vegas level, these are very similar plays. Both teams, the Giants and the Steelers are on the road. Both teams have 19 implied team totals. Both are relatively heavy underdogs, Steelers six and a half points. Giants five and a half points. I think they're very comparable. I just trust Saquon's pass catching ability a little bit more. I'm not sure what this new offense is going to look for look like for either team, but I do think that I trust Brian Dable's offense to be a little bit more pass heavy and to be 
efficient in terms of utilizing the best players on the team, which Saquon Barkley certainly is. The Steelers Mm -hmm. could be more rush heavy. I think Najee's workload is bankable, but I wouldn't be surprised to see more of it come on the ground. We don't know how Mitch Trubisky is going to function in this offense. Uh, Is he going to be stealing rushing attempts? Is he going to be less likely to dump off the ball as he takes off running? We will see how that plays out. I do tend to lean Barkley between the two. Do you have a lean if you find yourself in a lineup construction at this point with CMC and then only one of these two players? Yeah, I mean, it's clear-cut Barkley for me. I just think he's the more explosive player, and I think he has a higher ceiling than Najee Harris, whereas you know the projections might say different in terms of their ceiling. Like I said, Saquon kind of has CMC light in his range, whereas I don't think mm-hmm. Najee does. So, For that reason, I would definitely lean Saquon as my RB2 for sure. In terms of other running backs, I don't think, in my opinion, there's going to be a lot of chalky running backs. I think guys like Jonathan Taylor and Aaron Jones and DeAndre Swift are going to have some ownership, but I think in cash games specifically, we could see the ownership really just condense around CMC, Najee, and Saquon Barkley and I I think that also from a lineup construction point we're going to see a lot of two running back builds just because the wide receivers at the cheaper end are kind of mispriced and you need to save salary somewhere so so I think a lot of people in cash are going to be choosing between Saquon and Najee as the RB2 and stopping there I agree with you on almost all fronts the one thing that I would push back a little bit is that I could actually see Jonathan Taylor's ownership specifically in cash and I guess in tournaments as well be similar to McCaffrey because all offseason we've seen a subset especially of casual players be very adverse to being in on CMC early obviously the sharper players and and people like us know that we're not going to be dinging him for previous injuries when he's fully healthy now but I think a large percentage of people especially in week one on DraftKings when we're going to have the largest percentage of casual players that will have at any point in the year I could see Jonathan Taylor getting up there as well Mm -hmm. he's in a great matchup team total coming off of a RB1 overall finish. I think a lot of people do end up going there both in cash and tournaments, although clearly the numbers would tell you CMC is a superior play. Absolutely. All right. From a quarterback perspective, brand new year, same old story. People are going to be all over these dual threat quarterbacks. I think Lamar Jackson, I think Jalen Hurts, and I think Trey Lance are going to be the main focuses at the quarterback position this week as people chase the rushing upside of this trio of of quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way that fantasy football in DFS has been headed over the last few seasons is, you know, if you're not playing one of these rushing quarterbacks, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. You're just putting yourself at an unnecessary disadvantage. And Jalen Hurts is projecting really well right now actually I, I I think he's projecting a, a little too well and at 6800 obviously I love him I think that he is going to be one of the highest owned quarterbacks the real question that I have for you is is Jalen Hurts at $800 more than Trey Lance a far superior cash option as the projections are making it seem I I believe that he is. I believe that this game specifically is 
far superior to the Bears San Francisco game that has a slate low 41 total. The Eagles Lions game, on the other hand, 48 and a half. It is the third highest total game on the slate. The Lions should have the offensive firepower to push back. We like certain pieces of the Bears, think that Fields could be decent. Love Darnell Mooney, love him in this spot, love his player props. But even from that perspective, I could easily see both the 49ers and Bears trying to establish the run. I think it's going to be a slow-paced game in general, whereas the Eagles, another run-heavy team, just have a higher ceiling from a passing attack. I think A.J. Brown is there. They've made a pointed effort this offseason, I think, to increase what they're able to do with Jalen Hurts as a passer. His rushing upside should still be a major factor, but just from a game environment, a team total perspective, I think that Hurts is quite a bit safer than Trey Lance and what'll be a different-looking offense in a relatively terrible game environment yeah for sure I'm still kind of on the fence whether I believe that Jalen Hurts is actually that much better than Trey Lance for this week you're definitely gonna have to tune into our Saturday night live stream I'll I'll be more um conclusive with my thoughts around this situation kind of on the fence I I still like Trey Lance for cash he's still projecting relatively well for a quarterback at, at 6k we know he's going to run the ball 10 plus times the Niners still have a 23 0.75 uh, team total, which isn't the best, but it's not the worst. I guess game script and they should be able to dominate this game would kind of be the only problem with Trey Lance and Jalen Hurts is in a game where they where the Eagles implied team total has gone up one point since open. The live total is at 48 and a half right now, which is what the third highest total on the slate. Mm -hmm. And that has moved two points since open. So it obviously looks like the public is all over the Eagles. It obviously looks like the public is all over the total in the spot and expect this to be, you know, a competitive game but I, I, I just I don't know I just don't know if he's that much better than, than Trey Lance for cash but like I said tune in Saturday yep we can leave that there I think that's relatively all from a chalk slash cash game perspective at wide receiver Justin Jefferson is hard not to jam in we've heard rhetoric all offseason that he is going to be the Cooper Cup of this offense for the Vikings I'm not concerned with any type of matchup issues when it comes to a player of Justin Jefferson's caliber at home against Green Bay 7,800. If he's truly going to be in the Cooper Cup role with an even higher talent ceiling at 7,800, Justin Jefferson is the clear-cut wide receiver to pay up for in cash this week. Yeah, but aren't you scared of uh, Jair Alexander? I couldn't be less scared. Mm. All right, I have no fear. Zero fear. No, no fear. Reserves. We're locking Justin Jefferson into every goddamn lineup, man. I, I, I can't get enough Justin <laughs> Jefferson this week because he's going to be 9K plus from week four on. I'll tell you that right now. He might. It might be week three. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think that Justin Jefferson is a phenomenal play this week. I think he's probably the best wide receiver play on the board. Just mispriced for his new role in this offense and. I think a lot of players on DraftKings are going to opt into going that route where they jam in Christian McCaffrey and Justin Jefferson and make it work. For this week one, I do think that is the correct route to go. The median projection, the ceiling projection, the value is just so good on Justin Jefferson this week at 7,800. I don't know how you don't play him in cash and I'd still be willing to play him in tournaments 
um, especially if he's not even the highest owned wide receiver on the slate, which I think that will be reserved for Michael Pittman. Yeah, how do you feel about Michael Pittman? We've heard some interesting things from Indianapolis recently, specifically head coach Frank Reich getting into the thoughts that he doesn't want Jonathan Taylor to necessarily lead the league in touches. They may want to go a little bit more pass heavy. Brought in Matt Ryan, which I would call a significant improvement on Carson Wentz. The competition for targets is mediocre at best. Alec Pierce is a second round rookie wide receiver who we've heard good things about throughout camp, but is he going to immediately come in and jeopardize Michael Pittman's target share? I think not. Same could be said about Paris Campbell, who is healthy coming into week one. I think Pittman dominates targets here. I think that it's obviously a good matchup against a weak Houston secondary, and the price is absolutely right at 5,500. I think he deserves to be in consideration to be the highest owned wide receiver in week one. Yeah, I mean, I think he ultimately will be the highest on wide receiver in week one. I think it's probably a mistake if you aren't playing him in cash, especially in this matchup against Houston. He's just one of the most mispriced players on the slate. His projection is relatively good. He obviously has one of you know the highest ceilings out of any wide receiver in this range and he was a third round pick in best ball and you're getting him as the wide receiver one on a team where they got a quarterback upgrade and they want to throw the ball a little bit more so I think in cash you lock him in I think in tournaments you full fade yeah I I completely agree especially when you look at some of the other wide receivers available in that price range you're going to get massive ownership discounts on guys like Darnell Mooney for 200 more you can go down to guys like Bateman, Juju Smith-Schuster, Brandon Ayuk in play if George Kittle is out. Juju Smith-Schuster and Rashad Bateman are two interesting players because on the surface, I think they're cash viable, price included, game environment included, attached to great offenses. Bateman especially should have a stranglehold on a very, very good target share for the Ravens. Juju Smith-Schuster has the upside to lead the Kansas City Chiefs in targets both in this game and over the course of the year. Are you considering these guys cash game viable they may not be chalk but I do think that they will have some ownership yeah I mean I I think they'll definitely come in like 10 or 15 percent owned for sure uh they're just cheap and I think that projections are going to like them a little bit I don't think they're going to be stone chalk by any stretch and I think that a lot of people aren't going to go there in cash I personally do believe that both of these guys are cash viable if you do want to go that route but the route that a lot of people that I've seen and that I've heard talk about is they're going to go the cheap wide receiver route and that's when Mm. we get into kind of a uh tricky situation when two 4k wide receivers are going to be two of the highest owned players on the slate and I think both of them come with a lot of risks specifically Rondell Moore who is projected to be one of the highest owned players on DraftKings for week one on multiple projection sites that I'm looking at currently I will tell you this right now I am not playing a chalk Rondell Moore in cash at 4k I am just not doing it so absolutely not yeah I I I don't know I don't think Rondale Moore is good chalk I would hardcore call him bad chalk I have no desire to play Rondale Moore it's a good game environment and there's theoretical availability of targets there no DeAndre Hopkins Zach Ertz has been questionable all week although he appears to be on track 
to play. I just think that Marquise Brown is going to absorb a significant amount of targets here. I think AJ Green will be readily involved as well, and Rondale Moore, James Conner, Ertz McBride, and the rest will just be vying for the leftovers in this spot. Kadarius Tony, though, the other player you're referring to, 4,100. I have some interest there. However, it gets a little bit tough when we're talking about jamming two players attached to Daniel Jones and one of the lowest team total game total games on the slate. Sterling Shepard is back. I think Kadarius Tony has some question marks in his own right. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a ton of competition for targets. We don't necessarily know how the Giants are going to perform from an offensive efficiency standpoint. We obviously expect them to be better than years prior, but it's still a Daniel Jones-led offense with a lot of young talent on the offensive line. As a road dog, they're six-point underdogs as it stands right now. I think there is some risk. Obviously, I've been high on Tony. A lot of people in the fantasy industry have been high on Tony. He is a very exciting player. I think he has a ton of upside, and I would definitely be more inclined to play him over Rondale Moore, but I, I think betting on you know two ninths of your lineup in this Giants offense is probably bad um I may do it but you know they have a 19 implied team total which is uh tied for third worst on the slate with the Steelers in a game with a uh, 43 and a half live total it's probably not as good as the projections make it seem is kind of where I'm at. No, and it just, I don't know if the projections are going to account for everything that goes from, you know, Wandale Robinson's role to Kenny Galladay's role. Galladay has not looked good. But uh, he's going to be out there. But he's going to be out there. I think he's going to get some significant target like is Kadarius Tony's target share going to be that much better than Kenny Galladay's because of some camp reports I highly doubt it Sterling Shepard beating his recovery time making it back for week one definitely throws a wrench in Tony's target share as well he's a target earner Sterling Shepard is the last three seasons has been last three seasons he's been over 21 percent target share you know albeit he's missed games in every year uh he played 10 games Three years ago, 12 games the year prior, and last year uh, he played seven, but 21-plus percent in all three seasons uh, prior. So he earns targets when he's out there, and we don't know how much he's going to be out there, but when Sterling is out there, you best believe Daniel Jones is throwing him the ball, which definitely hurts Tony. It does. The The problem is, right, that once we get to a lineup construction, say Jalen Hurts, McCaffrey, Barkley, Pittman, Jefferson, all the guys that we've been high on up to this point, you got to save salary somewhere. Obviously, tight end is a spot. We'll look to do that and we'll get there in a minute. But it, it almost seems like you're going to have to play someone in this range unless there are some stone cold values at wide receiver that you're currently considering for cash. I mean, I, I've seen people talk about Paris Campbell at 3,300 and then you have your Wandale Robinson at 3k you have your romeo dubs at 3k uh, i think those guys are a little too thin i think a lot of people are just going to be in the range of the tony the ronda moore maybe jacoby myers uh, he's kind of projecting for a little bit of ownership there so i think a lot of people are going to go in that range for maybe two or one of their spots and then i think a lot of people are going to gravitate towards that mid-range which we kind of skipped over that 6k 6300 range where you have you know your t higgins your hollywood brown your brandon cooks all three of those guys are projecting relatively well right now so i i think that 
In terms of lineup construction, we might see kind of like a layered build where, you know, there's one high-priced wide receiver, one mid-priced, and maybe like two low-owned. Or maybe mm-hmm. some people sacrifice Justin Jefferson and, you know, they go with two mid guys, two low guys and jam in the running backs. It's going to be an interesting cash game week. I don't know if there's like one specific strategy that that looks better than the others in terms of construction right now on Wednesday night. Well, one of the big construction questions, longtime listeners of the podcast will know <laughs> what side of the fence we land on. But I think a lot of people are going to have a real debate on whether or not to pay up for Travis Kelsey and from a projection standpoint, Kelsey is far and away, I think, the best play on the board. It makes sense. His target share is going to be absolutely mint post Tyreek Hill. And he is frankly underpriced. 6600 for Travis Kelsey mm-hmm. in this situation, I think, is on the surface an absolute great play. It's just very, very, very difficult to envision myself playing a $6,600 tight end in cash. And I I think that over the course of time, that is absolutely going to be a losing strategy. However, this is a week by week game. Is Kelsey a player you would be considering for cash? He's certainly going to be one of the most high owned tight ends on the slate. Yeah, I I think he's definitely in cash consideration for sure. Uh, We talked about this a month ago on the on the early first look. And I'm pretty sure I said that like Kelsey was going to project off the charts because 6600 for his target share and his upside as a player is just ridiculous ridiculously low um and same for mark andrews at 6800 obviously people are just going to play kelsey because he's a little cheaper but both of them are underpriced for their roles and upside Uh, I, i could definitely say that but in terms of cash game construction i'm always going to opt to pay down to tight end i just think it's a position that quite honestly you don't need to spend the salary at your salary is better off used at other positions that have higher ceilings and where the talent, in my opinion, matters a little bit more uh, at running back and wide receiver. I will not be playing Travis Kelsey in cash. I think you won't either. I will not. In that case, we're going to look to try and find a punt tight end, and I think there are a couple viable options. I think Irv Smith is definitely in play at 3,400. I think that if you want, you could go like a little bit lower to... Brevin Jordan, who's projecting okay as it stands right now. He's 3,100. You know, you have your Cole Komet at 3,700, who I think is locked in as the uh, number two pass catcher in that Bears offense. So there are some cheap tight end options to pay down to that do theoretically have some upside. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that most weeks, you know, 10 points out of your tight end is going to get it done. That's squarely in the range for guys like Komet, Irv, and Brevin Jordan. Those are also the names that I would gravitate towards in this range. I think points per dollar included, I would rank it as Irv, Komet, Brevin Jordan. But at tight end, longtime listeners of the pod know I'm always willing to sacrifice a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit more at tight end. You know, oh, yeah. it's just the way to go. Yeah. If you're looking for that salary, what's the first spot you look to drop down a little bit? Yeah. It's always Absolutely. tight end followed by defense. Absolutely. And I guess the last thing we could talk about at tight end is uh, Zach Ertz, who is projecting to be one of the highest owned tight ends on the board. I don't know why projections love these dusty ass Cardinals players so much in Zach Ertz and Rondell Moore, but I don't know about you. I will not be playing Ertz in cash on DraftKings, even at 4,400. I just, I, I am just not playing him. 
period. No, I certainly won't be either. In fact, when I look at projections that are telling me that the field is going to be playing Zach Ertz at a high clip, I I raise my eyebrows in, in skepticism. I don't believe that either. However, Joey, if that is true, and we can transition right now to our tournament strategy leverage stacks and long shots, if Zach Ertz and Rondale Moore are going to be two of the highest owned players on the slate at their respective positions, then leverage wise, Joey, does it not make sense to play the actual alpha pass catcher who's priced incredibly affordably at 6,200 and Marquise Brown coming in with a middling ownership projection? I think that we see Marquise fall below 15% in a dream spot, dream game, dream matchup, beginning of the season. No DeAndre Hopkins. Target share is going to be immaculate. I was thinking that Marquise was going to be chalk all month. And to see the fact that he may not be just makes me so excited because I want to jam Marquise into every lineup. He's one of my favorite leverage plays on the slate if these ownership numbers hold on Ertz and Rondale. For sure. And I just think it's important to throw this out there that projections in week one, in my opinion, are just not going to be efficient at all. I honestly am not really taking into account any of these ownership projections for this week, not taking it into account as I normally would, you know, later in the season. I think that I'm looking at one site and they have Hollywood Brown projected as like the 10th highest owned wide receiver. I think that's wrong. I'm looking at another site right now. They have Hollywood Brown projected as the third highest player on the slate Mm. or third highest wide receiver on the slate. I think that a lot of these projection websites are obviously just guessing and we just don't know how a lot of these situations are going to shake out this early in the season. So if there's any week to not be a projection slave, it's definitely week one. I just had to throw that out there. Don't know if Hollywood is going to be a leverage play. I think he has been one of the most talked about players in the offseason, especially in the fantasy industry. I think that a lot of people are on Hollywood Brown kind of breaking out in this new system with Kyler Murray in this uh, pass-first air raid offense with no DeAndre Hopkins, and I think that he is going to be more owned than what the projections are saying. We'll obviously have to wait and see, but he's nonetheless, if Rondell Moore and Zach Ertz are, are more owned than Hollywood Brown, I mean, that just shows that there's still an edge in DFS. I don't care about price. Like Hollywood Brown is just a far superior play in every aspect even though he's, you know, a couple thousand more. Couldn't agree more. And there's another leverage play even within this game. We talked about briefly on one of our recent streams, but James Conner is a guy in this Arizona Cardinals offense in this game environment that could easily, easily, Joey, pop off for two plus touchdowns. And I don't think he'll be owned at all. There's just so many more running backs that are sexier that more people want to play than James Conner. Marquise Brown's ownership may be in question. Rondale Moore, Zach Ertz. I think all three of those guys will have higher ownership than James Conner. I think you get good leverage at the running back position and you get good leverage within the own team if James Conner scores multiple touchdowns. I think that he is a phenomenal play, especially in smaller field things where you may get him at, you know, three, four percent owned and has a massive ceiling. For sure. James Conner is a a standout GPP play just from an ownership perspective from a leverage perspective that you outlined uh, if Rondale and Hollywood and Zach Ertz are all going to come with you know 15 plus percent ownership on all three of those guys I think James Conner is the easy pivot there and you could use James Conner as a bring back for some Chiefs doubles that look like they are also going to be under owned and you know I'm kind of surprised at that but that kind of just goes back into you know just take these projections with kind of a grain of salt to be honest but yeah James James Conner looks like 
one of the best uh, GPP plays on the board this week. What's piquing your interest leverage wise? Yeah, I think that in terms of leverage and in, in stacks, I mean there there are just a couple clear cut stacks that you could pivot to in that late window that aren't going to be owned, and I think the best tournament stack in my opinion this week is by far the chargers especially if these ownership percentages are somewhat accurate like justin herbert is 7600 so he's right below patrick mahomes he's a little bit more than kyler murray lamar jackson has just as high of a ceiling as these guys and he's going to come in with a fourth of the ownership then you know you you sort you sort the projections by ceiling and then you see keenan allen and mike williams are in the top six for wide receivers but then you look at their ownership you get like five percent two percent that just screams to me play justin herbert doubles and sale to the money yeah but joey Devonte adams and darren waller are going to be two of the highest owned players who can you bring it back with oh wait they're fucking not. They're both cheap as shit, and they have high the, some of the highest ceilings at their respective positions. It's like these stacks just build themselves, dude. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, so I I think the the Chargers double and even the Raiders double are two of the better stacks on the board this week. I think you get leverage in that 4 p.m. window by playing one of these two stacks over, you know, the Cardinals double, which I think a lot of people will gravitate towards. I think a lot of people will gravitate towards the Patrick Mahomes, you know, Kelsey, Juju stack. Those are going to be very popular combinations. So I think just getting away from that and playing this game that also has a total above 50 with two offenses that should be both pass centric with a lot of elite skill talent. I think it makes a ton of sense in the world. Couldn't agree more. Another aspect I want to focus on in terms of leverage is just by getting into price ranges at positions that aren't going to be targeted. The ones that stand out to me right now are the higher priced mid-range guys like James Conner, for example, at 7K. Alvin Kamara at 7,600, I think is going to go pretty lightly owned. So much of the ownership, I think, will be consolidated around McCaffrey and JT at the high end and then Barkley, Najee in the mid-range like we talked about. But by going slightly above, I think you get some leverage. And then by going below, you can find leverage as well. Guys like Travis Etienne, 5,600. Ramondre Stevenson, 5,500. AJ Dillon, 5,300. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 5,400. These are all guys that are going to come with sub-10% ownership, sub-5% ownership in some spots and you could absolutely see them have ceiling games early in the year when their prices haven't been accounted for the expanded roles that we are projecting for them I think especially in large field tournaments just getting different at one of those running back spots with guys that are going to go completely under the radar Mm -hmm. could make your lineups very unique yeah absolutely I will say that running back is probably the position that you know if there is good chalk like CMC you probably don't want to fade that just because he is going to project so well and you know you could pretty much lock in CMC for 25 plus points if he doesn't get hurt so I I would say if I'm if I'm fading chalk it's definitely at the wide receiver position and so that would be Rondell Moore Kadarius Tony getting out of that range going up a little bit to that low 5k range where you have your Adam Thielen you have your Elijah Moore you have your Christian Kirk I definitely love getting up to there I love getting into that mid-range of wide receiver where you have you know your T Higgins your Michael Thomas Mike Will Amonra St. Brown DJ Moore, all of these guys are going to go underowned this week, in my opinion. So I, d- I definitely like getting out of those certain tiers at the wide receiver position and going into some of these guys in, in the low 5Ks and in mid 6K range. Uh, I think that their ceilings are very comparable to some of the chalk players in each of those specific 
uh, ranges. Couldn't agree more. I just want to emphasize the fact that week one is always a different monster. It's always when the prices are least efficient, which I think lets you get away from some of those core concepts on a regular basis. I would completely agree. Running back chalk is proven to be the most efficient chalk, right? Like it's, you know, it's workload based. And as the season goes on, we'll have an even better understanding of workloads, but from certain perspectives, would it shock me if Travis Etienne outscored Saquon Barkley, if Ramondre Stevenson outscored Saquon Barkley? From a median perspective, not likely, but in tournaments, especially large field tournaments, I'm willing to always take shots on on guys like that and, and plays like that, especially early mm-hmm. in the year. Yeah, I agree. Stacks wise, I think we've sort of covered it. I think I'm on the same page as you. I'm going to be very interested in Justin Herbert, probably going to play him in my high dollar single entry in some way, shape or form. Kyler Mahomes, both very interesting. Are there any super low key under the radar stacks that have piqued your interest? Yeah, I think the one that kind of has stood out to me the most just in terms of price and it will allow you like a lot of flexibility in your lineups is the Saints double with mm. Winston, Michael Thomas, and Chris Olave. You you're getting all three of these guys sub fifty seven hundred. Michael Thomas is five point seven. Jameis is five point three. And Chris Olave is four point five. Jameis Winston is actually popping in projections right now. He's popping as one of the best value quarterbacks on the entire slate at fifty three hundred. I think that the Saints are going to become a pass first team with the moves that they have made in the offseason they traded up for Chris Olave they went out and signed Jarvis Landry Uh, they didn't really sign anybody to compliment Alvin Kamara and we know that Kamara is best utilized as a pass catcher so I think that they are just going to let Jameis air it out I think that projections don't hate it. And I think that it's a very cheap double stack with upside. Michael Thomas, obviously we haven't seen in a while. There's a ton of uncertainty around there that should in theory lower his ownership. He's projected for a little bit under 10%. I assume that will be lower come Sunday. And you know, Chris Olave right now is sitting at around under 1% projected. Mm. So in my opinion, you're getting a nice cheap double stack at low ownership. The only problem that I would say is like, will it be able to compete with some of the other double stacks on the slate? I don't know about that. So I would have really only play it as kind of just a dart throw double stack, honestly. I think that that is fair, but sometimes you got to throw some darts. You know, the last tournament in DFS, at least that I won was in week one, I want to say two years ago, maybe with Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, um, that was that was that wild. Was an absolute dart throw. Mitch Trubisky, by the way, five K. Joey is he in play? George Pickens, forty one hundred. Get some leverage off Najee. Get a forty one hundred wide receiver in there. That's not Kadarius Tony. You got Jamar Chase, T Higgins. Bring back options. Are we running it back with Mitchell Trubisky? Trash biscuit week one. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no shot. Yes. Uh, but I will say that in terms of projections, Joe Burrow doubles look like the stone nuts right now so yes um yes, they do yeah joe burrow double with obviously the top two guys and uh bring back and, and george pickens looks looks very solid right now um just from a median projection standpoint a ceiling projection ownership projection and leverage on you know some of the other uh high owned players at each 
of those price ranges for the specific wide receivers. Uh, so that, yep. that Bengals double with uh, Pickens bring back looks very solid. Yep, it absolutely has to be in the rotation. All right, Joey, long shots. Give me those guys that are going under the radar that are going to be part of your week one Millie win. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I mean, kind of referenced one, but I, I love Chris Olave. At under one percent obviously a rookie wide receiver isn't going to project well in week one but I just think that from what I've read and what I've heard is that he's going to play outside and Jameis Winston is more comfortable throwing outside the numbers and that is where Olave is his best so I think they will mesh relatively well I think that there is still some concern with Michael Thomas surrounding his injury and whether or not he's going to be the same player although I do like him uh, so I like taking shots on Chris Olave at 4,500. And then if I just had to say like a, a long shot that you should probably just be playing as a one-off just in terms of talent and projected ownership is Debo Samuel. Mm. If you're going to get Debo Samuel at point five ownership and he's 7,400, nobody's going to play him. I, th- I think he's he's got to be he's got to be a tournament option. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I mean, George Kittle missed practice on Wednesday, apparently came down pretty hard in a Monday practice. His status is definitely in doubt. Debo Samuel, everybody is ready to embrace regression and, and that very may well happen. But in a one game sample size, Debo Samuel is going to be the most talented player on the field when the 49ers are on offense and 7,400 low ownership, sky high ceiling. I think that all the pieces are there to make Debo a phenomenal tournament play this week. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a long shot, if you're considering Debo Samuel as a long shot, since he's projected for 1% ownership, I mean, I, I think he's, he's probably worth you know, like a, a one-off in one of your tournament lineups for sure. I mean, last year, week eight in Chicago, scored 26.1 points at 7,400, same exact price as last year. It's a good matchup. Like, the Bears fucking suck. Who Who's going to guard Debo? Nobody. Yeah, nobody. I don't know. They definitely- I don't know. The... the the market is very low on the 49ers, so I think that could be a spot to capitalize on. I absolutely agree. I've got two guys that I am strongly considering that are both coming in at under 5% in initial ownership projections. The first we've already discussed, it's Mike Williams. This will come to no surprise. For the people who have been listening to the podcast during the offseason, during best ball season, I've been all over Mike Williams. I believe that we are about to witness a Cooper Cup-esque rise for Mike Williams. I think that he will establish himself as the Chargers' clear-cut alpha wide receiver as Keenan Allen's age catches up to him slightly. We saw Mike Williams ceiling at the beginning of last season. He was a weak winner multiple times to start the season over the first five weeks. I think if he retains any of that role that he began last year with, he is going to be an absolute smash. 6,600 attached to a top three quarterback in the NFL, top tier game environment, coming in with really strong ceiling projections as well. I want to jam Mike Williams in everywhere I can get him before this inevitable rise begins. And secondly, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. 4,700 is going to be the piece of this Chiefs offense that gets overlooked as everybody jams Travis Kelsey in as the Juju Smith-Schuster steam continues to roll over the coming days as he gets touted to the absolute moon. People will 
underestimate MVS's role as the clear-cut, solidified wide receiver two in the Chiefs offense. That is what all of the reports have told us throughout camp, and he is just not priced that way at 4700 Patrick Mahomes was quoted today apologizing to fantasy football owners, saying it's going to be a different guy every week at the wide receiver position having a big game. That is straight from the horse's mouth, straight from the goat's mouth. And you know who a different guy is? A guy who's going to be under 1% owned, 4700 Marquez Valdez-Scantling, dropping a 20-plus spot on everybody's head week one. And I'll tell you one person's lineup he's going to be in. It's going to be mm-hmm. mine. And he won't be in my lineup because uh, he sucks at football. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, nonetheless, though, he he probably is a, a very good tournament play. Obviously, we know his upside and ceiling as a player in the NFL, and, and he's attached to one of the best quarterbacks in one of the best passing schemes in the league, and they're going to pass a ton. So definitely don't hate that. And then Mike Williams is obviously a GOAT play this week. Absolute fucking GOAT play, Joey. What a joy it has been to be back talking DFS. We are a few short days away from the main slate kicking off. Have NFL football on later this evening as you are hearing this podcast. Buffalo Bills, LA Rams kicking off in a short few hours. Joey, any final thoughts for this edition of the podcast. No, I think we pretty much covered it all. If you're still listening, shout out to you. Been fun. Love talking DFS and football in general. And, you know, don't don't forget to uh, make sure you're subscribed to the pod, download the episodes, do all that shit. Yes, and this is just the start of the content that we have dropping this week, like Joey mentioned at the top of the show. His cash game video will be on YouTube Friday. My tournament-specific video will be on Saturday, and our live stream will be Saturday evening at 10 p.m. Eastern. Can't wait to get in there and talk with the people. That is going to be it for this week one edition of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Dose Media Net, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey carrying dfs if you guys want to connect with us stay up to date with what is going on within the network join our inner circle via the free discord channel the link to join that is in the show notes to the podcast to everybody listening out there we appreciate you we value you until next time let's stay accountable and keep it authentic